Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. You guys get, you know, real bonus points for braving the monsoon and showing up anyway. I actually, you know, as we were worshiping, I kind of, you hear the rain and it's, I almost felt like it's just this reminder of God's presence, just, just like pouring down on us. So there's something about being inside the building that's, the rain's kind of nice in here. But welcome, I'm so glad you're here and we're glad you could join us today. If you're watching online, we are welcoming you as well. So glad you could tune in. And my name is Carrie, for those who don't know me, I'm one of the teachers here. And today we're in the middle of a series about the gospel of Jesus. And we're going through the book of Galatians. And so for those of you who were able to join last week, Tom did a great job really setting up the background of Galatians, the, the history, the time. He brought out the um, kind of where we're at in the books of the Bible. Um, so today, I'm going to jump right into Galatians 2. We're working through slowly this whole, the whole book of Galatians. Now, thankfully, it's only six chapters long, so don't be alarmed. Um, but we're going to do Galatians 2 today. And this is a little bit... It reads a little like a story, so we're going to read actually the whole chapter together, 21 verses, uh, but we're going to break it up. And the first half of this passage is talking about um, Paul approaching the apostles or the other church leaders um, to make sure that the gospel he's been preaching is the true gospel, right? That's kind of the whole point of what we're talking about today. Um, And then the second half of this passage uh, really talks about Paul confronting Peter about an issue related to what Tom talked about last week, about people adding on to the gospel, creating a legalism that did not need to be there. Because if you remember, Tom said, Jesus plus anything else accomplishes nothing, right? Jesus plus our works, Jesus plus whatever else is, is empty, but Jesus plus nothing is everything. That's what saves us. And so that's what we're looking into today. And I would actually really challenge you, as Tom and I have been going through this this series or even prepping for it, whether you've been a believer a long time or just maybe are brand new, if you believe in God, I would ask you to ask yourself this week, what is the gospel? What does the gospel mean for me? How does it change my life? Because I think a lot of times we can kind of get into our Christian routine and we can lose sight of of what that does for us, of, of what the gospel of Christ is. So that would be my challenge to you today. But we're going to jump in right now to Galatians 2, and we're going to start in verses 1 through 5. So if you have your Bible, you can read along. You can also try reading along on a Bible app, and we're going to have the verses up here for you as well, if that is easier for you. So here Paul says, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. Okay, so quick pause for the uh, character background here. Barnabas was a good friend of Paul. In fact, Tom mentioned last week that when Paul was converted um, on the road to Damascus, Paul used to be someone who persecuted Christians, and then like all within the span of like a week, he became someone who was promoting Christ. In fact, he became one of the biggest promoters of Christ. But it happened, that change happened so quickly that the other church leaders kind of were, you know, understandably suspicious of Paul. They're like, really? Now you're, mm, I don't know if I trust you. Is this a trick? And so Barnabas actually vouched for Paul. He said, nope, I I can stand for him. I can tell you that he really had a genuine conversion. Um, And so so, uh, Barnabas ended up being that encourager, that connector for Paul. Um, And if you look in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas go on many missionary journeys together. 
And Titus is believed to have been converted by Paul. He was Greek, um, and he also became then a leader in the church. So these are the two people that Paul is going on this trip with. So we'll jump into verse 2. It says, Paul, I went in, in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. But we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Uh, I want you to pay attention to that last line, the truth of the gospel. That's going to come up again in this passage, and it's really uh, the essence of the gospel, right? That's what we're focusing on today. Um, really quick, there's this, there's this comment here about, um, about Titus and um, circumcision, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that later, but this issue basically was another, another area of legalism. It was a place where people were adding onto the gospel and saying, well, you have to do this, this, and this to become a, a follower of Jesus, and Paul was saying no. That's not the freedom we have in Christ. Um, I also think it's interesting here, uh, so if you notice in, the, in Galatians 1, when Paul first became a follower of Christ and he first felt he, like he was called to go share the gospel, he specifically says um, that he did, his immediate response was not to consult any human beings, right? Um, and I think about it this way, like Paul had spent so much of his life following all the Jewish traditions that he'd grown up with and believing that those traditions and those laws could save him. And then suddenly he realizes that they can't. And I believe he, then he has this direct revelation from Jesus. And I believe Paul probably realized, man, maybe I need to, to, to take a step back from people for a minute and try, stop trying to get approval from people or uh, opinions from other people. And I need to just go directly to the source and hear what Jesus has to say about the gospel. And I think this, we see this elsewhere in Paul's messages. You know, he says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? If I was trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. And he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. And so I believe that's why Paul originally did not go and consult other, other people, but he consulted Christ. But here, it might look like he's flip-flopping, because now it says 14 years later, suddenly he's going to the apostles. But if you notice, there's a verse here that says that he went at the leading or the revelation of the Spirit. Okay, so at this time, the Spirit is leading him to do this, and he's trying to be sensitive to what the Spirit says. Um, and so he's going, and basically he says, I want to make sure that the gospel that Christ revealed to me is in fact the same gospel that Christ has revealed to, to these disciples of, of Jesus. And so in that case, I almost think it's more like an accountability. And we all have a moment of where in, in our lives where we need that as well, the body of believers to come around us and sharpen us um, and help us to know whether what we're, what we're following is truly of God or if we've kind of gotten off somewhere. So we're going to continue now in verse 6. Paul says this, as for those who were held in high esteem, he's talking about the apostles he's visiting, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Now, a quick pause there. Again, the, um, the Jewish tradition of circumcision came through the... Um, through the patriarch Abraham, and that was originally this covenant. It was a symbol of a covenant between God and his people. But as we'll learn later, it was not meant to be um, something required for salvation. It was more of a symbol. 
Um, but because of that, the, the Jewish people continue to, ever since the time of Abraham, continue to be circumcised. So when they say P Peter was um, an apostle to those people, that's, the, that's people of the Jewish background and faith. And Paul was called to be an apostle to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, who would not have grown up with that custom. So... It's, in verse 8, it says, For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also an, at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, uh, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All that they asked, that we should all that they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, which was the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Okay, so we'll, we'll stop here for a second. So um, Peter, James, and John, these are like the pillars of the faith. These were disciples of Jesus. And if you, if you look in the, um, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that three, these three disciples were sometimes um, pulled away even from the other. There was 12 total disciples. But these three, um, like for instance, they got to see the transfiguration of Jesus. Um, so they had, they had a really intimate relationship with Jesus. And you could say that they were like the celebrities of the faith, right? The cream of the crop. And so that is who Paul is going to, to ask for, you know, just confirmation here about the, the faith that he has. And once again, Paul makes it very clear that who they are makes no difference to me. Like, he is not impressed by their status. Um, he is just going because he feels like God wants him to do this. And the result, the result is that they added nothing to his message, right? Because if his message is Jesus, and Jesus crucified for us. They didn't need to add anything. All they, all they wanted to encourage him to do was to continue to care for the poor. And that's something, as, as we finish out this series in a couple weeks, we're going to talk more about the outcome of our faith and how that, how that leads us to a response to the poor and those who are desperate and needy. Um, but I also love this idea. I'm going to revisit this idea for a second, that Paul was specifically called to a certain group of people, the Gentiles, and Peter was specifically called to another group of people, the Jews. And I think that's very interesting because the way that you present that gospel to two different groups looks very differently, right? Um, in fact, uh, you can actually see this in the book of Acts. In Acts 2, uh, we see Peter presenting the gospel to a largely Jewish um, to people of a largely Jewish background. Listen, these people already knew God. They already were acquainted with his promises, with his history, with his people. They knew the law of God, the Torah. They knew the character of God, and they already knew that God was promising them a Messiah. So Peter didn't have to start with a baseline faith, right? He didn't have to convince them of God. And he could use, in Acts 2, we see this, he uses Old Testament references. He walks the people through how the Old Testament points to Jesus. And he says, this Jesus, by the way, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Messiah. But Paul, but now Paul, when he goes to a group in Athens, uh, this is in Acts 17, he, he recognizes that these people do not even have that baseline understanding of who God is. And so he has to start by even explaining to them who God is. And I love that when Paul reaches out to this group that's, uh, that maybe doesn't know God, is from a different background, um, he, he walks around, he notices that in Athens they have all these altars and objects of worship to all these different gods. And there's one altar that says, it has an inscription that says, to an unknown God. And he says, I'm going to tell you about that God. Let me tell you about that God. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one that gives life and sustains everything, and he's not far from any of us if we call on him. And then he quotes not the Old Testament. He actually quotes the poets, 
that the people of Athens would have been familiar with. And we might look at that and say, that's scandalous. Why didn't he focus on scripture? But the point is, Paul knew he was allowing Christ to reveal the gospel in a way that these people could hear and understand. Now, why do you think that might be relatable to us today? Do we have any like middle schoolers or high schoolers in here? No, maybe. I feel like you guys know about labels, right? We have, we have a lot of groups of people, and maybe, maybe early on in high school or middle school, you, you get a label based on who you are, based on who you hang out with. Um, I think a lot of times we look around, maybe as, even as adults, we still, have, we still have labels. We don't really outgrow those, do we? You know, we still like political labels or working labels. I think there's an interesting thing, though. When I look around, I see a lot of different people reaching out with the gospel of Christ in a lot of different contexts. And I think it's easy for us to look at someone working in a middle school, someone in high school, someone working with kids that are, or that are trafficked, someone working with maybe a conservative group or a liberal group, and we can judge the way they present the gospel sometimes, right? But I think it's very clear that we need to know that if it's truly the gospel, that gospel is the light of Christ, and, and the presentation itself does not alter the gospel. Um, and so I brought up just as, a, just as an example... Um, Jesus is the light, right? We would say Jesus is the light of the world. But there's a lot of different kinds of lights, aren't there? We've got, a, we've got this light. My son said this, is, this gets very hot. You want to be careful when you light this up. Um, if you are trying to maybe um, go on a walk somewhere, you want to light your path, you might take this with you, right? You're going to use that. If you're searching for something, maybe you've got your cell phone light or maybe you take out your flashlight. Um, if you are, you know, trying to do some reading late at night, you don't want to wake anyone else up, your spouse is sleeping, you might have your little desk lamp, it's going to illuminate a small space. Um, we have this work light here, I'm going to shine it this way. Um, this, if you're working on something, right, you're going to need, you're going to need a work light. Um, I have a light at home that I use to grow plants, because that's what the light can do, right? It can seek things, it can find things, it can illuminate our path, it can, it can open up the word for us, it can, if you're a surgeon, you might use a very specific light to seek out something that is wrong and to fix it, right? To, do, to accomplish surgery. There's all these different lights that we have. Um, but I, I think that sometimes we have to be careful because the different ways that we use the light matters. If you don't believe that how we use the light matters, then you've never had a toddler with a flashlight who's like, like not in the eyes, not in the eyes. I think that's the only way they know how to use a flashlight. Um, I actually had an example of, back when my husband Jeff and I were dating, uh, we were playing basketball, and it was at my, at my parents' house at the time, and it was nighttime. I don't know why we decided to play basketball at night, but my dad is like one of those like Mr. Fix-It, rig-everything guys, and so you give him like a roll of duct tape and whatever, he'll find a way. So he had this work light that he found, and he put it out, and he's like, we'll just go play basketball. Well, it was working fine until I cut away to the basket to try to make, you know, to, to get a, open for a pass. My husband shoots the ball to me, quick chest pass, right to my nose. Because I was staring directly at the light, and I was blinded by it, right? And I wish I could say that was the only time it happened, and then we stopped playing, but it happened again. <laughs> and so we stopped playing the game so that our relationship would survive, and, <laughs> and here we are today. We're, we're almost at 16 years, 15 years. 15? <laughs> That's sad, I don't remember. My daughter's 14, so we're 15. Okay, there we go. But anyway, so what I'm trying to say here is that the light, the source of our light does not change, right? 
Jesus is our light, but sometimes the presentation of that light may look different in different situations. And I think that Paul would give us encouragement here that you each are meant to be a light in different places, in different ways, and that's a good thing. And let's encourage one another rather than only being critical of each other. I think Paul is saying what the most important thing is that we become very clear on what the core of the gospel is. So I keep putting it off here, but let's keep reading in Galatians and see if we can find out more about the essence of this gospel that Paul is preaching about. Uh, this part now, again, goes into a little bit of, a, of Paul, or sorry, yes, Paul confronting Peter on um, an issue. Verse 11 says, when Cephas, that's also another name for Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Ouch, that's a little harsh. What did, what did Peter do to deserve um, that, you know, that censure there? Paul says, before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when, these, when these, um, the circumcision group, when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And again, that was the Jewish people who, who kind of believed that you have to have Jesus and all these Jewish laws, all these, all these traditions that we've upheld. And as a result, not only did, did Peter separate himself from, from these people who God was welcoming into the faith, but also other people, because Peter was this, this influential leader. So other people were seeing what he was doing, and they were also being led astray. So Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting, here it is again, in line with the truth of the gospel. When I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. Right? You, you have freedom in Christ, and you know that, so you live like a Gentile. You don't live under the law anymore. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Um, and again, this, this um, idea of circumcision, Jesus himself talks about this. He says in John 7, Moses gave the people circumcision, although it didn't actually come from him, but from the patriarchs, Jesus says. So it's not this forever law, it's not this moral law. In fact, Romans 2.29 would tell us that what, what God actually desires is not an outward sign of our obedience, but a circumcision of our hearts, which sounds terribly awkward. But it's, it's this idea that it, that it is an inward change that God is looking for, right? Not an outward sign alone. And so Paul is, is very clearly calling Peter out and saying, no, you do not add to the gospel of Christ Right? You do not add barriers to people who are seeking to know God. We don't need to add on to those things. Um, in verse 15, Paul continues. He says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. Okay, so really quick, I'm going to go back to verse 15, because if you read that, it sounds a little bit, like, off-putting. He says, Paul says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. It sounds smug, doesn't it? And I read that, and I was like, what on earth is he saying here? So I had to go to a commentary to find out a little more. Because um, it's kind of like, you know when someone's talking about you, but, like, whispering, but loud enough that you can hear? And you're like, Paul, I can hear you. That's not kind. So what I found out is this. The, the pulpit commentary says, 
that the language here actually denotes like um, almost the connotation of an outcast, um, a phrase that would have been used by, with bigoted disdain by legalistic Jews. So what Paul was doing here, he doesn't agree with this, with this statement. He's actually trying to use it as a way to kind of prick Peter's conscience. Like, like probably Peter has heard the legalistic people he's with say things like about those Gentiles, right? And so Peter, Paul here is probably using this phrase actually to reveal, to reveal the hypocrisy that Peter is, um, is living out. Okay, you're actually, you're treating people as outcasts that God has said are clean. And he goes on, he says they're, he says they're clean because in this passage we see that whether we're Jew or Gentile, and Paul or Tom will talk about this later, uh, slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all the same before him because Jesus is the great equalizer. And you know what's hard here is that Paul is saying that it is most hard for people to accept the cross of Jesus when they think they're doing okay without the cross of Jesus, right? And so for the people who thought they were following the Jewish laws and traditions and that they pretty much had a leg up on everyone else, the, the Jesus is somewhat offensive because he comes in and says, no one can be as righteous as I am, and I have come to justify not just those, those sinners, but, but you as well, who also have sinned. And, and Paul makes that very clear. We are no longer justified by the works of the law. We are putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We are justified by him. Now, what does that word justified mean? In this sense, in this sense, uh, the word justification, um, it, uh, sorry, Oxford Dictionary would refer to it as the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. The action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God and so Paul is making a contrast here because in the Old Testament, if you've, if you've read through that, the Old, um, the Old Testament is full of all these sacrifices. The people had to continually over and over and over again make sacrifice or atonement for their sins. And it happened all the time because truly those sacrifices weren't able to save them. They were again a picture of Jesus Christ, this ultimate sacrifice that was to come and die for us. And so Jesus, Paul is saying, Jesus in his death on the cross said, I take all the sin, I take all the punishment, anything that was owed to you as a consequence, and Jesus takes it on himself, so that when we stand before, so that when we stand before Christ, God sees Jesus. God does not see our sins or ourselves, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. Can you imagine that? You stand before God, and God says, you're holy and blameless in my eyes, through my son. I don't know if anyone here has been to court. Court, I feel like, is a sense of judgment, right? This sense of, like, condemnation or shame. And I don't know how many of you have, like, maybe gone to court for traffic violation and, and like, invited all your friends to come join you. Yeah. You know, like, we don't usually send out save the dates for, like, oh, my daughter's going in for an embezzlement hearing, and I would like to invite all of you to join, and there'll be a reception to follow, and maybe bring cash gifts, you know, because... No, we don't do that, right? Because there's shame around that. There's, there's a sense of judgment, and when we go to court for those things, there's a sense that we're going to be claimed guilty or innocent based on what we've done. But the beautiful thing about the justification of Christ is that he comes and he takes our sin, and so he stands before us, and we are freely justified in him. But not only that, but he takes the courtroom, and he changes it entirely. And so instead of a courtroom for judgment, he turns it into a courtroom for adoption. And I'm going to tell you this right now because I have, I have a boy that we adopted years ago. 
and I went to court for him. Um, and I'm going to get emotional, but um, I love that kid so much. And we stood in the presence of our friends and family because we invited them to join, because we wanted them to witness that moment in our lives. And the judge, who happened to be Rebecca Lobo's brother, I have a picture, very, very tall. I have a picture I can show later. Um, he proclaimed that this child would, would be ours forever, that he had full rights as our child. And that, to me, is the picture of God. Jesus justifying us. He invites you into his court. He says, now, and he says, now you are heirs of me. You are heirs to every promise that I have. You are heirs to the kingdom. And you have everything that you need in me. Forget condemnation. Forget shame. You come to me as a child. That is the gospel of Christ. And if I could boil it down, at the end of Galatians 2, I know we're, we're uh, wrapping up here. If I could boil it down, we're going to see what the gospel is in just a few words in this final section that Paul shares. He says in verse 17, if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. And part of what, what he's saying is we, we, we don't go back to the law. We don't go back to the law because that's not what saves us. We don't start out by trusting in God and then revert to trusting in the law again. Um, in verse 19, he says, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. For I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who loved me, and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If we could do it ourselves, the cross doesn't matter. And for Peter, especially, who walked with Jesus, who saw him crucified, he absolutely knows that that is not true. And so if I were to boil down the gospel for you, I would say that it really is these four words. Christ lives in me. Lives in me. Christ lives in me. And why do I say that? Because I think maybe part of us wants to turn the gospel of Jesus into kind of something transactional, or like bullet points. Okay, I do A, B, and C, and then I get this from God. Right, like I get eternal life, salvation, yada, 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 all the promises. But truly the gospel of Jesus is this, that we who were far from God, that we, were, we sinned and we became separate from God, and God is a God with us. All along, that has been his desire. That is why he died for us, so that we could be with him. And God does not settle for proximity. He's not going to be someone who sits and says, okay, I'm going to stay near you. I'm going to kind of I'm going to tolerate you. He's like, no, I want to be within you, in your life. That Christ in us. That means that when we accept Jesus, when we say, yes, I've sinned and I've been broken and I need help, God comes. He sends his son, his spirit to live within us. So we are reborn. We are animated through Christ. It means that everything we do is through this Christ living in us. And it means that no matter what happens to you, whether it's a nuclear war, whether it is um, cancer, whether it is, you know, a sugar-crazed toddler attacking the bathroom door when you're trying to go to the bathroom, whatever happens to you, right, Christ is in you, and nothing can take that from you, nothing at all. And I think right now, especially in this time we live in, we need a reminder that the world may fall apart around us. There may be terrible things that happen. We ourselves may feel the weight of the brokenness of our own sinful actions, but Christ never leaves us.
or forsakes us. Christ, Christ within you lives within light of the world. The light of the world lives within you. I think there may be some people. Here. I think there may be some people here. Um, I know for me, this this message series even has been somewhat convicting. I think we can get a little bit dry. We can get a little bit kind of stuck in in doing things on our own righteousness or our own. Um, maybe efforts. And maybe you're someone here today who's like, I've been walking with God for so long, but I needed that reminder that God's love for me never fades. That I'm not in a courtroom of judgment, that I'm in a courtroom of adoption. And if that's you, I would just pray that you would, that you would recognize God's invitation to you. Okay, he's not, he's not shining this harsh light on you. He's, he's inviting you into this space to know his presence, to feel him. And if you're someone today who says, you know, I don't know that I've ever actually made the decision to follow God. I'm not really sure. I've, I've kind of questioned it for a long time, but I mean, I'm at a point in my life where that darkness is feeling pretty real to me, and I'm feeling pretty lost and pretty empty. And if that is you, I would just encourage you today to just pray simply to God. And I would just, um, I'll, I'll pray in a minute, and you can even even make sort of mirror what I pray. But the, the point is, we just say to God, I don't know. I can't do this on my own. I recognize that I've sinned, and I'm trusting you that you died on the cross to save my sins, to heal me, to make me whole, to make me your child, and I want to walk with you. I want your love within me. And I would just tell you right now that for me, that decision has changed my life in ways that I, I can't even imagine. And I know it will do the same for you. So let's pray. For God, for those who may be wanting to say that they want to follow you and not knowing how, um, God, we just want to come to you and say, we know. We know we've screwed up. We know that we've, we've done wrong things. We can see that brokenness in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And God, we're tired of the dark, and we want your light. And we want to accept the, the, your death on the cross for us and your resurrection and that you have saved us from our sins. And not only that, but you've given us freedom and adoption to sonship and daughtership. And God, we accept that and we ask that you would um, show us yourself. Show us more of yourself and show us your presence inside of us. Thank you for everything that you do. Amen.